0: Earth, September 1939. With Europe sliding into war, a young Englishwoman, her loyalties torn, comes to a terrible decision. But what does the intergalactic secrets broker, Mephistopheles Arcadian, want with the fascist sympathizer, Cecilia Sissy Pollard, on the last day of her life? Still searching for the facts about the Greiben debacle, President Romana makes a deal with the devil. So begins a chain of consequence that can only end in tragedy for the passengers aboard the Vienna to Calais Transcontinental Express, the woman called Lila included. By journey's end, the truth will out, but at what cost to Romana and Leela, to Gallifrey's empire, even?
1: Dun dun dun! <laughs> is the president and narvin's loud in his dissent and leela has wise things to say and they all live on gallifrey we're massive nerds who love this show we have lots of opinions though so come on in and come to stay and let's talk about gallifrey
2: this is the pod of rassilon Hi, I'm Finn. My pronouns are they, them. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fintip, and you can follow the show at Pod of Rassilon on Tumblr, Twitter, Insta, and wherever else you find podcasts for your ear thingies. Joining me today, we have Chris, who uses he, him.
3: Hi, I'm Chris. You can follow me on Twitter at Medlock Madness, and on Tumblr at Medlock Madness.
2: Jane, who uses she, her.
0: Hi there, you can find me at Twitter, Tumblr, and AO3 at Jane Scar,
2: they, them.
0: Hello.
4: You can follow the film I'm making on Twitter at dead underscore susan,
2: and the void who uses they them.
5: Hi. You can find me on Twitter at voidly thoughts. That is void l y thoughts, and on Tumblr at irving dash
2: And today we are talking about the episode one point four, A Blind Eye, in which lots happens and many secrets are revealed.
4: You ain't kidding. <laughs>
3: Okay, so, strange as it may seem, it is entirely possible that someone could listen to Gallifrey and get to episode 1.4, A Blind Eye, without knowing the significance of Sissy Pollard, and in particular the fact that she is the younger sister of one Charlotte Elspeth Pollard, Charlie to her friends, and Warning Adventuress adventurous and companion of the Eighth Doctor. This episode makes several references to Charlie's story, so I shall attempt to clear those up because, full disclosure, I had not got to that bit of Charlie's story by the time I had listened to a blind eye either. Before I go any further, I should say that listening to that first run of 8th Doctor Big Finish stories is the best way to experience this, rather than listening to a self-confessed 8th Doctor fanatic waffle on about it. Both Paul and India Fisher, who plays Charlie, are so good in their roles, especially when we consider that Paul in particular and thought his stint as the Doctor had started and ended with a 1996 TV movie and did not seriously expect to play the role ever again. Charlie is introduced in the very first big Finnish 8th Doctor story, Storm Warning. She is one of the daughters of a minor English aristocratic family from the interwar period. Not enamoured of the life she feels is effectively mapped out for her, probably as a stay-at-home wife of some trippy toff, she stows away on an airship, the ill-fated R101, puts her hair up and disguises herself as one of the ship's crew, as a bellboy. The Doctor rescues her from the airship in the split second before it eventually crashes, but in doing so causes a paradox. There is now somebody alive in the world who should not have been otherwise, were it not for his intervention. This, it is implied, goes along with the you cannot rewrite history, not one line interpretation of the laws of time given to us by the first Doctor, as opposed to his much more frivolous attitude to the same, exhibited by some of his later incarnations. The consequences of his actions demonstrate to us why the Time Lords have placed the Doctor on trial on more than one occasion for his interventionist attitudes, notwithstanding valiards and High Council cover-ups. The TARDIS doesn't like Charlie either. It is frequently referred to as having a somewhat antagonistic attitude towards her, because it knows she shouldn't be there. And in the story Neverland, it is revealed that because of what the Doctor has done, the weather time is breaking down. Charlie herself has become a conduit for the negative energy of anti time to enter our universe. Not only is this causing history to break apart, but it also threatens to bring into being an anti time mythical monster from Gallifrey's past called Zagreus. Zagreus has a rather distressing nursery rhyme, which time tots are told presumably to make them shiver in their beds, and promise to never ever consider breaking the first law again. Zagreus sits inside your head. Zagreus lives among the dead. Zagreus sees you in your bed, and eats you when you're sleeping. Zagreus at the end of days. Zagreus lies all other ways. Zagreus comes when time's amaze, and all of history is weeping. Zagreus taking time apart. Zagreus fears the hero's heart. Zagreus seeks the final part, the reward that he is reaping. Zagreus sings when all is lost, Zagreus takes all those he's crossed. Zagreus wins and all it costs, the hero's hearts he's keeping. Zagreus seeks the hero's ship, Zagreus needs the web to rip. Zagreus sucks time at a drip, and life aside he's sweeping. Zagreus waits at the end of the world, for Zagreus is the end of the world. His time is the end of time and his moment, Time's Undoing. In order to save Charlie again, the Eighth Doctor absorbs this spirit into himself and is banished reluctantly by President Romana into the Divergent Universe, a place where time itself as a concept does not exist. For all we know, the Doctor can never return. Charlie, however, having fallen in love with him, rather than being dumped back on Earth by the Time Lords, chooses to remain true to her adventurous instincts, follows her heart, and stows away in the TARDIS, rather than see him endure his exile alone. Thus, when we are told by Romana in a blind eye that the Doctor is gone, he is, at this point in everyone's relative timeline, no longer existing in this universe. Of course, as somebody once said, a universe without the Doctor scarcely bears thinking about.
4: long while since i re-listened to it but now that i have i don't know why i don't re-listen to it more often it's it's good
2: it It is is. really good it's a pretty heavy episode as well though
4: yeah but it's got a lot of moments of comedy as well
0: and it feels more like an episode of doctor who than maybe any other
5: episode of gallifrey i think which is not a bad thing
4: yeah I, i i put something like that down too
5: I think it's uh, the the travelling. although I do have a note on it. Um You know when Leela, um uh asks what was that? and Leela replies, It was a monster. A monster? Don't be silly And then you hear like a crash and a roar and Leela goes, See, it is always a monster And And she's so dead such about a, it the first yeah, time <laughs> And that's such a, a Doctor <laughs> Who
3: line to yeah. have there. I I love that. I you know, I, I definitely wrote that down it's a thing it's
2: Leela has a lot of very good lines in this episode. She does. Yeah. She does.
5: And heartbreaking ones. It does in general have a lot of, like, iconic lines. Yeah. Although, obviously, the most
0: iconic line of the whole episode, and probably the whole series, massive spoilers, is, She's my wife! (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just
1: every time. Every time. She's my
2: wife. You've got to say it along with it. You've just got to. You can't just sit there and be like, "Ho hum, this is what's happening, yeah, okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I remember the first time it was really striking, but yeah,
5: ex- yeah,' I was about to tell you like about the first time I heard it. um I was in a school library, and I'm pretty sure i I made a facial expression out loud, um <laughs> no, I know I did, um, and I had to get up and pace for a bit because I was just so shocked. <laughs>
2: I listened to a lot of these at work and I don't I don't have many like very distinct memories because it was work and everything blurred into one but I, I spent a lot of time looking down a microscope at work and the amount of effort I had to put into not visually responding to what I was listening to was so much just so much like it was a good job that the microscope obscured my face from the person sitting opposite me because boy those would have been some fun conversations. <laughs>
0: Finn is often very good at guessing where media will go. Did you mm. see this twist coming the first time?
2: The twist not specifically what it was, but I knew there was something, like, you know, like the old woman on the carriage and everything like that. Like that was an obvious one from mm. the beginning. Um Yeah. And like the whole time I was like, What are you doing saying all of this in front of her? There is some random agent out there causing chaos and trying to start temporal wars. And there's this random woman who appears to be totally chill with the fact that everything is going on despite the circumstances and everything like that and just has some like little witty lines and things to say i think about two-thirds through the episode i'd kind of i knew something was up with torvald with Torvandred because narvin had been like there's something odd here he doesn't quite trust him there's something but i didn't know exactly what it was i hadn't guessed he was Andred, so it was like a big like oh shit moment but one thing i do really really like about gallifrey is that like Not even like just really appreciate it doesn't treat listeners as if they're not smart enough to make conclusions on their own it's not a hand-holdy show but i've never felt out of my depth with it um and when you do get to make those leaps like you know a minute or two before the characters or two episodes before the characters it's really really rewarding that when it comes around to it like mind bomb is one of my favorites for this because i clocked it like 15 minutes into the episode i was like oh oh boy um (laughs) and then like the fallout of that is so good they kind of like, you know what's going on, and you sat there going, just understand it, understand it, will you not, oh! Um, <laughs> right! <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm not going to talk about that until we get to talk about Mind Bomb because that is one of my favourite episodes, but...
4: Uh-huh. There's something that the old lady says, you know, when, when the like train first crashes into the other train, that mm. is very suspicious, like, I don't know if I caught it on my first li- listen, but she just like very calmly says something because the trains are literally imploding which seems very out of character for a normal human being
2: yeah she she says something about um does anybody mind if i pray Uh,
4: if i read a prayer is how
2: yeah read a prayer that's what it is. yeah
4: but she sounds very chill about it
2: Mm, yeah she
5: does and i've i've always been curious about that line like is this the this sort of um, shapeshifter, like, trying to get into this character of old woman untrained? Um, and if so, like, is that just what aliens think humans are like? You know, just well, like...
2: There was the whole powder my nose line as well. And Nervin's <laughs> like, I am suspicious. I am always on team Nervin was mostly right. I raised my hand then. Nobody can see it. Like, Narvin was like, no, she can't leave. She's got to stay here where, where we can keep an eye on everyone and control it. And Romana's just like, oh, for God's sake, Narvin, just get over yourself. Like. I know everything because I'm Romana and I'm the president.
1: She's... T- oh, yeah.
0: Once again, Romana is the worst boss. Oh, my God. I wrote down... Let's see. She calls Narvin a fool, which is a hugely inappropriate thing to do for a boss in any context, but not only that, in front of both Torvald, so Narvin's direct underling, mm. and Arcadian, an enemy of Gallifrey. Like, what <laughs> no. kind of boss are you, Ramona de Borja Lunder? What the management not a very training good one. course did you attend that you think this is appropriate behavior?
2: <laughs> I think the words you're looking for are a budding dictator.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say... One thing about uh, in in response to void's thing about the um w- w- is this what aliens think of humans? I love the idea that this is like this this shapeshifter alien is basically LARPing as his human OC. <laughs> exactly.
5: Ooh. I mean even the name. Miss Joy. I-, I am not German um but joy is not oh. a particularly German name sounding name to me.
4: I thought she was meant to be English. I thought, I she
3: thought
5: was her meant name to be English. Is... Fair enough. Uh, she's just I'm got
3: sure a, she's to be a,
5: a German-sounding first name, um, but that's fair. The way her and Sissy sort of interacted, it did sound like they were sort of
2: fellow British, British imperialists. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you were going to pick a random old lady name, Muriel Joy is pretty much it's the John Smith of old lady names, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah
5: pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I like that sentence
0: Eustacia Jones <laughs> Arabella
5: Johnson
2: the old ladies are always suspicious you don't put a random old lady in something and not have her be suspicious like 99% of the time she's the baddie like...
0: <laughs> if you see an old lady in act 1 she will be fired by act 2
2: i <laughs> <laughs> got a loaded um, old lady and I'm not afraid to use her yeah.
5: Um, a note I had about uh, Endred, or Todred. Um, he actually, early on in the episode, um, we've been talking about him and titles and how he's mm. slipped up a few times. He slips up even more in this one.
3: He does. God commander.
5: Exactly. I'm a God
3: commander of Gallifrey. Yeah,
5: he does, he's not even hiding it. He, he says, I'm a God commander. Like,
3: yeah. Although there's a bit later, isn't there? Where um, I can't remember who is talk, who it is that's talking about about Torvald and um, a member of the CIA or uh, and the senior one, a commander. So, so that suggests that commander is is also a title in the CIA.
4: I think it's the guard well. part that yeah. Is... yeah,
3: it's the guard part that, that is you know. So if you if you have the scent of the twist at that point, then perhaps a bit later on, you know, oh, Commander's are in the CIA as well. Oh, well, you know, maybe that would throw you off the, uh, throw you off the sense a little bit, but, but yeah.
4: And from an in-universe perspective, his titles being so similar m- makes it, like, understandable that he'd slip up sometimes and mm. refer to himself definitely. as the wrong thing. It's
5: it's just the sort of thing that, on a realism, it's just delightfully infuriating because <laughs> you're sitting there like he said it he he said it and i didn't notice and he's yeah. just saying it
3: <laughs> the secret hidden in plain sight
2: yeah on that point when the train crashes when it when they connect leela and android have the same conversation
0: mhm
2: and it kills me
0: it. Yeah. there's so many linguistic parallels in mm, this episode, yeah. but specifically he gets called Commander Cretton, and she gets called something else Lieutenant Loincloth and, and Lieutenant Loincloth, yes
2: yeah. <laughs> right Captain.
3: which to
0: yeah. me, because it's Arcadian who calls Leela Lieutenant Loincloth, <laughs> implies he already knows about Torvandred
1: yeah. See,
2: oh yeah
5: I do think, like, Icadia knows something about the future. Um,
2: because he's Well
5: I think, I, you know what, I think, honestly, <laughs> we all have a bunch of notes on that, so maybe we should oh, end yes. there. So yeah. I think, like, <laughs> there would...
3: Maybe we should end there. Um, the, one, the one thing about him knowing the future is, once again, he refers to Romana as um,
2: the great imperial Yes,
0: I noted that down Dude, too. Did
2: Torvald do it as well? Okay,
0: yes, Torvald does it. I have, I have it. another big theory about that one. <laughs> Here it is. Torvald is possessed by Pandora. It kind of explains some things, right? It kind of kicks off a whole big series of events. Everything that Torvald oh. does is like the impetus for everything that leads to the future seasons the next two seasons at least mm. and we know he's been in the catacombs right and he's all like racial purity which suggests to me that his family is old enough to like have the imperiatric so
3: also however can i see your theory and raise you another one? <laughs> Please.
2: Oh boy here we go <laughs>
3: um that Torvald One was possessed by Pandora. Yes,
0: that's what I mean. And
3: jumped yes. to Andrid when during their confrontation. Ooh. And that would explain why he's so, or he says he is, so fuzzy and screwed up. And actually, is it Pandora that plants the thing in his head? Assume this guy's identity.
5: No, I was just going to say, if that's true um it has some it has some interesting implications because when it comes to having pandora in your head and remaining in control we've only seen i mean only so many people have been possessed by pandora um we've yeah. seen two people do it um spoilers um winter does it for a very short amount of time the only one who we know who's done it over a long amount of time is prex and we know that it was very costly for him and we also know that he is someone who sort of is is very skilled with the telepathy mentalism thing.
3: We we know that it is a huge mental effort.
4: For... Yeah, and and one point against that is then um he'd have had a couple or Pandora would have had a couple of opportunities to try and like transfer to Romana. Aren't they aren't they alone in this episode at some point? Or or only with like Leela. Uh
5: and... yeah, they're alone in this one.
4: I suppose
5: yeah. you could argue that um, if this is the case, Pandora is still setting the stage for her actual return. Yeah, exactly. She's
4: yeah, it could be like a lower um, level of influence, like Darkel. Like, Dark like he didn't, he wasn't like in control of all of Dark Hell's actions. Dark Hell wasn't like properly possessed. I don't think in the same way that Romana is when uh, she um, spoiler does something to Andred, but she's she's been influenced by Pandora. It could be like that level. I was just
0: going to say it kind of so the the Pandora jumping to Andred when Torvald mm. one dies also makes some more sense of why Torvald had to die, right? Like or not Torvald, sorry, Andred had to die.
5: you um, <laughs> you're, you're confused Torvalds. about it too, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I mean, it can be hard to tell the difference sometimes. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, makes more sense of why Andrew had to die, right? Because he knows too much. Like, he's he yeah. been too close to a lot of things. Because it's never really clear to me exactly why Pandora would want Andrew dead. It's yeah. clear why Romana might want Andrew dead. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I, I this think... is
4: not the episode to discuss it, but um, <sighs> there was a pretty... Pretty urgent reason why he needed him dead right then and there. I thought because uh, he'd just been about to, like, you know, have a last minute heel face turn and do the right thing by yeah. telling someone about what Taylor was doing. One of them, you know, it was in Pandora's best interest that he didn't. I, I, I got that impression because it was like that 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 whole debacle happening. there di- almost directly leads to. Dark Hell challenging Romana for the presidency, which in turn leads Romana to declare herself Imperiatrix.
0: Okay, fair enough. It's been a long time since I listened to those apps. I'm just saying it would be an additional reason.
2: Yeah.
5: Yeah, I I think we should definitely have more of that talk when we actually get to
2: <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely that gonna episode. be an interesting one.
5: Because yeah, I have thoughts about why why Pandora made Romana kill Endred.
4: Yes, that's that's a that's a good <laughs> it's a good episode. I am looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> All right, Scar, do you want to do the the immigration
4: thing? Um, yeah, of... it just reminded yeah. me of how there's like it's quite a big theme in this episode. It, it comes up um quite a lot uh especially with um how Sissy and uh, Joy talk to Leela. like um uh xenophobia towards the wrong kind of European. Um, An Yeah,
0: Oh my god. That's a horrible. word.
2: <laughs> well it's not just that right? Uh, Gypsy Travellers and Roma people I don't know what the acronym is for the rest of the EU but GRT is what's used in the UK um, like what's used by Gypsy Roma and Travellers and like they are the most marginalised community in the UK like on a number of levels in a, like a bunch of different ways. Um, so you do get the kind of, like, oh, the Romany Queen kind of thing, and at the same time you'll get, oh, they're a bunch of whatever your favourite slur is this week. You know, like, oh, they've come to steal all our stuff and everything. So they're very much a marginalised community. So if anyone's listening from the US or just outside of Europe, like, it is very much a thing that people are harassed and lose their homes, and, like, the current UK government is, unsurprisingly, trying to, um, make it illegal for them to even, like, stop anywhere now so yeah i just wanted to get that in there i will put some links in the description of the episode as well to some resources if people are interested
5: yeah um and i mean even they also um sissy also assumes that lila is slavic uh, which mm. there is a larger roma popu- to my knowledge um is a larger roma population in those countries that there is in sort of in britain but even then being slavic is also something that people would look down on you uh, for to this day that's still something that's happening in sort of western europe but we're talking britain now and yeah it it happens there i mean you only need to look at um post brexit there were people getting you know shop windows were being broken people were getting beaten up in the street and we're getting the whole out of our country treatment um
2: yeah overnight as well like hate crimes shot up overnight Um, and it's yeah, still not back at pre-Brexit levels. Yeah.
4: It's quite depressing that, um, I mean, when was this made again? 2000 and something? Oh, it was
5: 2004. Uh, but 2004. I
2: mean,
4: yeah. I mean, this
5: was also, this was Nazi ideology, right? Like.
2: Yeah. The...
4: Yeah.
5: So.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff from this era of Big Finish that touches on this kind of thing. Fearmonger is another really good one, and the old Unit series as well. Um, both stories that I really highly recommend, they're both really good. But there's a lot of this kind of, like, there's an awareness of it and an acknowledgement of it, and it's written about in a way that you couldn't write about now, even, like, you know, 15 years later without being, like, absolutely hammered for writing about it, being like, oh, you're making this up and everything like that, and, you know, you're saying that everything now is just like Nazi Germany and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, you've got the line in this about um, the president's liberal agenda and all that. And it's all language that is being used now and was being used then and has always been used to marginalize people to sort of get this sort of stuff on the road. And you just can't have the people like them with the people like us because whatever reason. And I really appreciated that they used Leela's Seventeen and Tesh thing in there. And like Leela's approach to it was really, really good. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the um the the specific line that I noted down was talking about a time with the doctor.
2: But that is an evil name and a man does not become hated for nothing and this system sprang from madness too.
3: That's right. Who is That's dragging who down. After. You know, this system sprang from madness also. Yeah, um the
2: the two the two sided I mean no offense no, of course, that was really like
3: all of those. But yeah. also if Leela just... had
2: thrown her off the train, I would also have cheered, so
3: <laughs> Yeah. All of those are just excellent.
2: It's just that you can't kind of let that thing slide, right?
3: It's just the moral compass of the show. You know that what whatever comes out of the mouth is um,
2: heartfelt, heartfelt More than anything. And,
3: yeah, and in many and in many cases, wiser than any of these highborn, highly educated time lords.
4: Yeah, and um, yeah, I just thought that it's it's something that was obviously relevant at the time it was made, and it felt relevant when I first listened to it in 2012, 2013, whenever it was, but now it feels even more, like, it it reads differently with the context Hmm. of everything that's going on today. So, two things.
0: One, further back, (laughs) Finn mentioned um, that, like, people wouldn't want to believe this kind of thing if you put it in today, and even for me... A person who, despite the username, is only an eighth French and actually three-quarters Slavic. It is bizarre to me as an American that there is, that my actual real name would get prejudice in the UK. That is so, so strange to me. Because of all the, all the kinds of prejudice we have over here, there is not that is not one of them. Yeah, it is just very hard to process. Because it's not Sounds something weird. we hear about over here at all like the the dirty little secrets of any given culture i think are often the ones we try to hide or just don't think to talk about so it's i think american's dirty laundry gets aired more than a lot of countries just because our media saturates the world so much and like it's good that we're starting to deal with our cultural demons but like i am curious about the other parts of the world that i don't hear about and the things that we don't get to know over here
2: yeah the the internet is america-centric you know that's an anglo-centric as well sorry friends
4: can i ask a question then how did it land for you when you first listened to it then if you didn't have that context of
0: i like... mean i knew about prejudice against the romany right that for sure i was aware of so that part hit and i think the Yuroslav right was just Oh, she's a Nazi. She's prejudiced against everybody, right? It did not hit with a present day resonance.
3: I mean, in, in many ways, when after Poland joined the EU, and and there was a a sort of real, there was a lot of migrant um workers who came to the UK when they got free movement into into the EU, and and that sort of really was this era's or this generation's. Um, it has a lot of parallels with ex empire migrant workers in, in, into the UK, you know, post-war and in the fifties, you know, who also will have experienced, you know, horrendous racism and, you know, and, and look, Hey, you know, Windrush. You know, I was about to say exactly that thing. You know, we we had, you know, we had the Windrush generation, uh, okay, a, a generation that's another that, one. that. Please, please explain you,
0: that term for the non-Brits in the audience.
3: So, so the, the Windrush was one of the ships that brought a lot of uh, West Indian workers uh, to the UK, so um, from Jamaica and, uh, and places like that. So those people uh, often referred to as the Windrush generation, whether they came on the Windrush or not. And we had a scandal a couple of years back where our Conservative government actually attempted to deport some of these people because they weren't born in the uk not
2: just attempted have successfully done so continue to do so and accidentally lost the paperwork in big quotation yeah. marks
3: yeah. so yeah there's just so many parallels you know that you know, this stuff just does not go away yeah you know, and just repeats itself with it underneath underneath the different guys
4: and even the people who didn't Even the people who didn't get deported, their lives were ruined for. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. By uh, the hostile environment and not being able to get a job um, while their cases were in um, limbo. Anything. uh, Yeah. An
0: episode about Nazism was hard to listen to right now when Mm. in the news here recently we've had literal eugenics.
2: Yeah, we heard about that one as well.
0: Yeah. uh, Which is so, so sick making. Um, yeah, (laughs) like, it takes a bit for any emotional blow to land this year, but that one hit. Um, but, um, because that was the other thing I was going to get to, was, yes, she does talk about the Seventeen and the Tesh in this episode, but I think it's really telling that she does not do it in front of Time Lords, only in front of humans, right? She almost never brings up her home world at any point in Gallifrey. And I think it's because she knows this is the kind of reaction she's gonna get. Like, Mm. she does not trust them to handle it with any sensitivity. She'd she'd rather trust a Nazi human with that information than any Time Lord. Which is pretty rough. Poor Leela.
2: You know what else isn't milk?
1: Go
3: on. Gallifrey. (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
0: (laughs) So void says they have a Leela heartbreak for us.
5: Um, it's it it's it's an observation. Leela has that line, "I am Leela, and I know the sound of evil." Mm. I mean, what she's saying is, you know, essentially is um that she's got a good sense of character. You know, in the same mm. episode where she finds out that someone she hates and distrusts is actually her husband. Um, so yeah, I'm just thinking about that line um, and how Leela must have felt about that after you know I mean she is yeah. shocked but you can actually like you can hear it in her voice right like she's just she is not just you know angry and upset she's also you know questioning how did I not realise this how did I not see it
2: she, yeah, she's, she's very broken in up herself. in this one by the end of it um, Yes, and I think the the contrast of the like Oh, it's a monster. It's always a monster. And, like, you know, she's very kind of, like, not stereotypical because it's not a stereotype. It's just the kind of, like, she's very sort of standard Leela, like, on the ball Leela, the Leela that everybody knows for, like, a good, like, third of the episode. And then, like, you just get the kind of that completely turned on its head thing.
0: I mean, almost immediately before that, she has the line, you lie, you all lie. Mm. Yeah.
3: So, so well, well, uh... two things there. Then, one is the contrast from when she says to almost shouts at City, "You know, blood will have blood, girl." You know, so she is so sure. You know, this is her conviction. This is what's right. You know, the man who killed her husband has to die. You know. Eye for an eye. Yeah. And um, the contrast between that and, as Freud has said, that just her absolute... Now she's not sure of anything. Not only is the actual truth her endless, but that conviction is gone. It's just been torn down, and she doesn't know what to do with it. It it properly rocks her and causes her to question herself. And the other thing that Jane's just reminded me of is, she says, you know, you all lie. And Romana actually says, I never lie.
2: Yeah. And I'm like, Ramana? excuse you, Romana. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Romana, we need to have some
2: words about the things that you say and the opinions that you have about yourself compared to the objective truth. That's a conversation that maybe should have been had. And then maybe things would not have gone quite as horrendously badly as they did.
4: Can I say something about Romana?
2: Always. Please. Always.
4: Um, yeah, I just wanted to, to point out how extra Romana is at the very start of the episode. Um, like, it, from an in universe perspective, from an out universe perspective, it's very convenient that she opens with, you know, I'm Romana Retrolunda, present of Gallifrey. Mm. But he's telling this random waiter, like, it, there's, there's, and and immediately after says she doesn't want anyone to know she's there. So he's just saying yes. that to flex on this random guy. Yeah.
2: And then he's um, just like Madame <laughs> la President, and I'm just better. Uh, not only
3: that, it, she she's horrendous to him as well. Yeah. When, when you know, right at the start, you know when he's like you know. You know Oh, man, bon and Dan, you have a reservation, and, and she just goes, Apparently. Right, yeah, and you <laughs> um, just like, Romana, don't snort. That's punch not up, how we Ramana. treat service
5: work- workers, Romana.
2: Yeah. There isn't much up from where Romana is to punch, to be fair. Th-
4: this is like. On Earth in the thirties, um, right? He he obviously is not going to know what Gallifrey is. Uh, um, no. So okay, here's probably... here's my argument. I don't think it is. I don't think they're on the train yet at that point.
2: There's train noises though. Yeah, there yeah, are. Yeah. Okay, right maybe the
4: start, like it's the moving And I'm sure there's this. I was wondering if it was like an alien, like, like a a space bar or something. But I'm sure there's. There's something that refers to it being Earth already.
5: Yeah, I, I believe that Arcadian actually says that Sizzy has boarded this train. Okay.
0: Yeah, because he's
2: talking about double I mean, as well. The,
5: again, like the waiter's reaction
0: to Romana coming in and claiming to be president of Gallifrey I know.
2: Like
4: implies that they have some idea what that means. I was about <laughs> to say um, that. <laughs> like uh, presumably he thinks that you know she's claiming to be like a president of some random company and just has a really inflated sense of self importance
2: yeah and therefore madame la president yeah
4: um yeah so, yeah to to this random waiter dude she's just you know the the awful um uh Karen. rich person who <laughs> Yeah, yeah, is is extremely arrogant for no reason.
2: I mean, she then continues to have wine opinions as well, which, with the hearthaven thing later I, on, is very. funny. I mean,
4: in right.
5: fairness, they are serving a red with fish. That is like. With fish. I know. That is wine one oh one. You don't I do know. that.
3: <laughs> can, can, can we can we can we pause that thought for? The conversation
5: yes. that is yes. that, that, that conversation. <laughs> I have no it for that conversation. I thought so, you yeah. so. this
4: isn't this isn't about Arcadia. I just wanted to say one more thing. Like for, for the whole episode, Romana is not in a good mood. Like, you know, she's oh, no. she's kind of cussing with everyone. Yeah. Even Leela and, yeah. really.
5: Um I mean that's that line where, you know, like a back to Romana being a terrible boss. Like um, Narvin tells her, you know, careful you'll break the thing and she tells him, I'll break you in a minute. <laughs> I know. Like <laughs> Excuse you, Romana, that's that's harassment.
0: Like, Okay, I- but and it-
5: yet and yet
0: Right, he starts Arcadian starts the conversation with Romana, my dear, and don't you look chic in your couture. And instead of giving him crap about it, usually a thing that she would not let go, she just says thank you and rolls with it. Which is interesting. Let's do this, Maybe she really wants to feel pretty, I don't know, and that's why she's mad that yeah. nobody else mentions her dress. <laughs> and she gets
5: mistaken for a maid by CC fairness what? about that, I do think that, I mean like, CZ's making up all these stories Um, like, she doesn't know anything about Leela, and I think to her, in her world view, Romana could come in in like the most fashionable dress and she would sort of, because she's got this sort of idea of, you know, this like, race, um war you know, maybe hmm. she sees someone come in like that and it's like, oh yeah that's what they want, isn't it, for us to yeah. be serving them, so... Yeah. Romana could be, like, just an argument that maybe she isn't actually wearing something that a maid would wear. We've only got CZ's (laughs) word for it. Yeah. Can we play What is Romana Wearing?
2: My favourite game. (laughs) (laughs) I just have one thing to say about the Romana and Arcadian thing, and then yes, absolutely. It's not even anything massive. It's just, I would like to know, how does Romana know that Goebbels song? How does she know how it goes enough to know to get him to stop?
0: What song? Um song?
2: When, when he's singing the the um, the song about Yusuf Goebbels. Oh, it's. I mean, it's I don't a really know well the
0: song. So,
2: it's a bit like the Dad's Army theme tune, kind of like shitty nonsense. I'm not singing it. It's atrocious. <laughs> that that
0: also um, does not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not registered. Was, on. You're making you some, some very <laughs> British references. Yeah.
3: Was... Dance, uh, Dance Army is an
2: uber British reference. Yeah, no, I know, for... but like. Like, I
4: know what things... Dance Army is, but yeah. I have not heard the theme song. I have two very quick quick things to say before the um, what is Romana wearing thing. Um, One is uh, just, I went to say this because I had it written down about the Romana not being in good mood. Um, but to be fair to her, she's having to meet Arcadian instead of like dictate fanfiction to Canine, um, <laughs> which is of course her favorite activity to unwind after a day of running the planet.
0: On 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 the flip side, she's on a romantic train
4: journey with Leela. <laughs> she she doesn't seem happy about it today though. She's in a mood.
0: Yeah, well, um, she has to share Leela with Sissy so.
4: <laughs> and. uh, with the um, a follow-up to things like how does she know that this reference um, the I, I, had, I only noticed it on this through listen, but the the how many times Leela... I know careless talk cost lives. Sorry. Yeah. Obviously, that's a World War Two yeah. reference thing. But how does Leela know that?
5: I mean, Leela says it in a way that, to me, implies that Ramana has been telling her that repeatedly. Yeah. But
4: how does Romana know that as well? She, I mean, we've never I mean, seen her go to World War Two, but I guess. No, but like she travelled with. She the doctor, with
5: history. The universe's biggest Anglophile. So like.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fair.
5: I take exception at that. Thank you. <laughs>
2: It's just kind of like, it's a very, very specific time and place to know A, the Goebbels song, and B, the careless talk thing. And you just kind of like, I know that partly this is because it's written by majority British, majority English people, which like obviously is going to have a lot of influence on it. But like, yeah, Norbin knowing like, where
4: the Alps are.
2: Yeah. I mean, another I imagine Norbin knows have too. Research.
4: Um, oh,
0: the the euphemism I need to powder my notes. Everybody in the conversation knows what that means, Mm. which is not, like...
2: On that note, how much research has Narvin done before this trip? Because how does he know about A Lady Vanishes? How has he seen that? Yes,
0: that one too!
2: For anyone who isn't familiar, it's a Hitchcock film.
0: Narvin having a Hitchcock movie night is so good.
2: (laughs) About, yes. I mean he's not he's a couple on a train.
5: Patrick so
2: yeah, it's just such a very specific reference and he like he mutters yeah. it under his breath. He's not saying it to anyone. Like Romana's just like the president who never was and he's like the lady vanishes more like. And you're like <laughs> how is that such an immediate right there in his brain reference that it's like it's just good. The the, the little things, the little
4: things. Romano is is clearly secretly like, you know. The, the, the whole time worlds being obsessed with Earth thing it's contagious.
0: I'm still gonna hold on to my totally unfounded headcanon that Agent Norvin, young Agent Norvin, was stationed in Paris during the whole Last of the Jaggeroth bit <laughs> and thus knows some things about Earth and France.
2: I love that. I love that as a headcanon that's great Thank
0: you. You, you know, he was at
2: London at Christmas one year because he was that police officer, remember? <laughs>
5: Yeah, we also know that he lived in Wales for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go so well for him, but <laughs> uh, there was, uh, respectively, a reference to Sean Carlson playing a police officer in *The Christmas Invasion* and playing yes. random guy who gets stabbed in <laughs> some Torchwood episode.
2: And the uh, the character he's playing in that Torchwood episode, the uh, the kid, his son in the episode, is the kid who played the kid master. Um, which is quite funny
4: <laughs> Sean's favourite roles clearly because they feature prominently on his show role he did at one point
5: there was also a thing I wanted to say about references here it, it's just the one that I realised this listen through that made me so angry
0: when, the incense um, and
5: peppermints one it's not that one no, it <laughs> is when um, Mephistopheles <laughs> I mean, goes. Devil am I, a lowly imp at worst.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes. And I I didn't realise, it's just such a nerdy line. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean, his whole name is just incredibly appalling and the most made-up thing you have ever heard, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> about
0: yeah, that, it's please. almost like it's not his real name.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to do the whole what is Romana wearing thing?
0: The problem is that this is an audio medium, so I cannot.
2: This is what the Twitter and Instagram problem. are for.
5: Yeah. It...
0: And so Twitter. We talk about and it Tumblr. now,
2: and we post them, because I have a lot of opinions about a coat of shiny cow's hide, so, you know. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Yes, but I may have. So, early on in the lifespan of Tumblr, I started uh, a folder called Romana's Wardrobe, which now has. One thousand two hundred and twenty three
5: items in it. Um Um uh, just a note not to be mistaken with the blog Romana's wardrobe, um <laughs> that was briefly run by yours truly, and it was mostly just like they were not all Romana things. I just take them as Romana, but Yeah. I mean
0: I think we all know the Alexander McQueen ensemble that could not possibly be
5: more Romana if it yes. had her name stitched into it, have
0: yeah. you
1: seen the
5: um, uh, the edit with with Trey wearing that? Yes. Good.
2: Are yes. we sure it wasn't Jane that did it?
5: I didn't. No, uh, it wasn't. I, I can think. tell you because no, Jane was not active in the fandom at the time. Because uh, I was the one who posted the image and said Romana would wear this, and then someone replied with it, and I, that was when I was fairly new in the fandom. So, and I'd had I. Yeah,
0: I think my first ever Romana clothes post had that and, like, eight other (laughs) images in it. Uh, For those of you who don't know the Alexander McQueen ensemble we're talking about, we will post a picture of it somewhere. Um, But it's got a a big red overrobe and a red, like, Fabergé egg purse that goes with it and a white and gold underrobe. So it's the Pridonian presidential dress, like, all the way around.
2: It's one of those things that if you haven't seen it, you have to see it to believe it. Which is how I feel yeah. about a lot of McQueen stuff, but
0: I think there's pretty good evidence to believe that white and gold or cream and gold are the presidential colors, um, mm. based on the presidents that we saw on screen in the classic era, right? Flavia, I believe, wears white and gold. Definitely the president in the Deadly Assassin wears white and gold or yeah. cream and gold.
2: Not to not to get on the uh, on the, the the color symbolism high horse or anything, but it's kind of that sort of quote-unquote pureness um and like everything in is color-coded right everything you know this is reinforced in a number of the audios as well as the tv show erasure especially but yeah it is the the kind of like sort of the 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 clean pristine sort of like royal above everythingness. um anyway i will let you continue because fashion is your more your thing than my thing
4: above chapter colors is what i've always found interesting like that both the cia and the president are meant to have like you know given up their chapter or their house in some way, and, and the colour reflects that, like, both white.
2: But, yeah, that is interesting
0: that the CIA are black and white, and the, yeah.
2: I mean, Rassilon's, um some of Rassilon's stuff in the earlier seas- earlier TV show is um black or black and silver and black and white as well.
0: Which could just be, you know, it's before the colour system happened. But the 30s, right, where we are now is sadly not a great decade for Romana. It's a good decade for my girl whose name shall not be named. Uh,
2: She means Trey, for the record.
0: So much of Romana's, Romana 2's look is quite, um, either quite androgynous, she wears a lot of, like, britches and overcoats and stuff, or quite girlish, not at all form-fitting. Um, she does not do curves. So, like, she'd be great in the 20s where like the very flat silhouette thing was very much in style and i desperately want to see romana and Leela out at a jazz club in the 20s in their flapper dresses or Leela in a zoo suit oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i'm having a
2: crisis now that would be something i'm
0: literally clutching my pearls um.
2: she really is can confirm <laughs>
0: to dress up for this episode for this conversation yeah so it's really hard to find a dress that looks like Romana's style in the 30s because the style of the 30s is very clinging and very um shape emphasizing silhouettes uh, especially in like higher fashion um and lots of low backs which i don't think i'm alone in head that the neck is sort of a um either in erogenous zone for Gallifreyans or, or, like, a tabooed area, sort of, like, showing your midriff on Earth, I guess. So I don't think, like, low backs would be Romana's thing, um, especially not when she's on the job.
2: Yeah. For me, that's always been about... Um, they're such telepaths, right? Like, they're all, like, you know, up to the neck in whatever they're wearing. Like, you know, the gloves and everything like that. So anything that is, like, a low cut anywhere to me is always kind of like a, or like not wearing gloves and things like that, it's almost like a sort of scandalous risky thing because they're so like stuck up and upright and old fashioned and oldie worldy
0: Yeah. But they say like they have the extra collar, right? Mm. The collar specifically I think is what leads to the, the belief yeah. that like necks in particular are a thing. Um, There's stuff
2: like putting your hand on someone's shoulder as well, right? Like it's very much like, do not come near me, go away. <laughs>
0: I don't know i think for some people not as much on that but yeah um yeah.
2: no i just mean like so, in context of, of the show and everything like that for, oh like for yes. time lords for Gallifreyans.
0: yeah so anyway i have lots of options for for romana romana to be wearing in this episode but it's harder to find them than you think because trying to find find ones that are glamorous and the right colors but not too revealing and sort of fit her style it's a lot but I have three top candidates and we'll put them on the Twitter and yeah. Blast them out to the world. I I feel like I wanna have a conversation about the likelihood of ruffles, but I don't think our audience <laughs> would care.
2: We can make a separate one for that one. We'll we'll make a separate special Ramana close episode. I am more than happy I to appreci- talk about we costuming.
3: should do that. Yes.
2: I like Yeah, that
3: should be an extra. We should, we should
2: film should be, we that should one that. though. Yeah, that might be a good uh-huh. one.
0: Yeah. There yeah, you go. And, and, <laughs> Support our Patreon and get access to, <laughs> to the, the special video episode.
2: <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I'm all the way through this conversation. I'm just like, cries in June Hudson stand because she's incredible. Oh, she is. Big fan. If anybody I'm...
0: here has not seen the costume that never was of Romana in the, uh, the royal blue and gold, like, Louis Couture's jacket, and Westcott and Britches, Just please do yourself a favor and look that up. And that if you Google, it never happened.
2: if you Google June Hudson Romana, it's the third image that comes up. And I will also post it on the Twitter because I love it very much.
4: It's so good.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: there's the on on the Blu-ray of Tom Baker's final season. There's there's two things. One is that June Hudson does behind the sofa on that. So you get all of her exposition about, this is how I did Romana's costume for this episode because she has a different one, you know, every episode. And where she found however much antique lace that she just bought all of it. Uh, So that's wonderful. But there's also PDF slideshow on it as well of all uh, Romana's concept drawings. Um, so, well worth seeking out.
2: There is also a special Doctor Who magazine that's a costume that's got a really good mm-hmm. interview with June Hudson yeah. in it as well. Anyway. You could just it's, see it's, these it's, things, Finn. Did you not know that? I can... No. Sorry, Sky, you were saying something?
4: Yeah, just one uh, slightly random thought I had while I was wo- uh, listening is R- R- uh, how Romana talks about Charlie and how she reacts
3: uh, I say, can I turn into Boromir from Lord of the Rings and say, give me leave to talk about Charlie. <laughs>
0: this, is, this is your episode. Yes. <laughs> this, you're. This is the episode where you're allowed.
4: Go for yeah. it. Go, go for it,
2: What else were you going to say, Scar? And then Chris can go. How's that?
4: Yeah. Sure. Um, Just that uh, I remember from like Neverland and Zagreus, they at least got off on the wrong foot because, you know, Romana was trying to think trying to balance the greater good over over charlie's and charlie's life um not as as much as some of the other gallifreyans but uh came off as cold compared to the doctor so i assume her her changing attitude is because at this point eight's in the divergent timeline and she thinks the doctor's like you know gone forever and so, of course, protecting um, any of his friends and their families would be like upholding his last wishes. Because um, if I recall correctly, I don't think she knows that Charlie went with him and thinks she's she's like back on Earth or something. No,
3: she, she's, a, she's a stowaway.
4: Again. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Romana doesn't know she's gone with him. Yeah, and that's ju- they're just the. just made me s- a little sad thinking about. Um, Uh, Because, yeah, at this point, everyone thinks the doctor's, like, essentially dead. Though, you know, knowing him, it's not a surprise that he finds his way back from the place that should be impossible to escape. Yeah,
0: and I think Romana, of all people, might give him more credit because she also found her way back from a place that she was never supposed to be able to get out of, so...
4: Indeed. Yeah. So that one was a lot more voluntary. (laughs) True. Alright, Chris...
3: How about it? So the first, the first thing is that one of my first notes is Arcadian confirms what Romana says and says the blessed Charlotte. Yes, so the blessed Charlotte was in capital letters with a little heart emoji next to it in my notes. Um, so so both the script but also India does a fantastic job of making you absolutely believe that these are two sisters who have the same instincts and the same desire to not stay stuck in a rut, even a, a very wealthy and privileged rut in England and see more of what they thought at the time is the world, and in Charlie's case, winds up many worlds in a whole different universe. So, th- so that basic same instinct is there, but in Sissy's case, it's goes off into you know, a, a, a very horrible place to the extent that she takes the apartment of an evicted Jewish couple who, for all we know, you know wind up in a concentration camp. You know, so so that you can believe, um, Sissy's flights of fancy, you know, whilst they come across as very childish, you know, with all the stuff with Lilo, you know, a, a gypsy queen with a horde and all of that kind of stuff. Again, parallels her sister in terms of of, um, of, of her imagination and
0: and it's the most likable she ever is when she's yeah, so most likable
3: she ever is, Charlie's. The diary of an Edwardian adventurer so it's all of that kind of romantic romantic in a literary way stuff all comes through very strongly so it's a, so it's it's well written and it's incredibly well acted by by India because you know because even though she has to I mean India's sort of very well spoken anyway but she has to uber that when um uh when she's doing either Charlie or or in this case Sissy, which is another level on top of Charlie. That that's the main sort of thrust of what I wanted to say. But Leela really clearly met Charlie and has a huge amount of respect for Charlie because, you know, she compliments her at every turn and compares Sissy to to, to Charlie at every turn. So you know, so you do not have the dignity that Charlie has. Um, or she does not have the dignity that Charlie had, and also you know she tells her directly, you know she would have hated what you turned into, Sissy, and, and what you have turned into is very telling as well, because again you know that just suggests that the two sisters are very alike, but they've, they've diverged, and that comes through in Sissy's um in Sissy's letter to Charlie, you know before before she shoots herself. Um, where she says, you know, she has that realization that you know she's had her head turned by, you know, um, if you like the glamorous,
2: but she's been radicalized, hasn't she? That's the thing. Nature of
3: fascism, she's been radicalized, yeah. Um, yeah, and and that she's turned and the real blind eye. You know, there's many blind eyes that are turned in this episode, but the real blind eye is that one. Where she says I've turned the blind eye to things that would make most people sick. So it's and it ties into you know it ties into sprayers and all of that stuff as well, but um, but yeah, it, it it's a real um, it's a real flag waver for uh, uh, for Charlie, this one, even though she does not appear.
0: So um it was a big moment for me. I had never heard of the Mitford Sisters before the first right. time I listened okay. to this episode. That's interesting. Um, I think many non-Brits maybe haven't um, and may have no idea that Cece Pollard is based on a real person. Her yep. name was Unity Mitford. The, so the Mitford Sisters were a very famous aristocratic family um, in in England um, in the pre-war and between the war periods um between the wars uh there were five sisters and four of them became famous in various ways and had very very strong and very very divergent political views i think the one who uh is probably most like charlie is um is it jessica the one who um came to america and wrote about she wrote like an expose called the american way of dying about the funeral industry and was a socialist um so very very different from her sister who went out to off to become a nazi oswald mosley is mentioned in this episode that's another name that non-brits may not know
2: unfortunately Uh, a lot of brits don't know oswald mosley either it's, it's very much one of those we don't talk about British fascism.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. He was the head of the fascist party in Britain. He was married to another one of the Mitford sisters. Yeah. I'm trying to remember her name. It wasn't Diana. Nancy. No, Diana was this. the one who became Duchess of Devonshire. So Diana yeah. was the Duchess of Devonshire. Jessica was the one who wrote Hans and Rebels, which was sort of about her family, and the one who again wrote The American Way of Dying. Uh, it must be Nancy. Nancy was the writer um, in Paris, and it's the fourth one. Uh, no. Pamela was the one who led a relatively quiet life, and what's the fifth one? Uh,
1: anyway, talk,
2: was it unity? Have you talked about unity? Yet? No,
0: unity was the Nazi. Yeah. Unity is the one Sissy's based off of. Yeah. Um, uh, that was But her sister's the one who was married to Mosley. Um, we can look it up. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Right. Nancy is the oldest one. She was the writer. Nancy the second one is the Jessica... one who married Moseley. Uh Deborah is one you've missed. Deborah. No, Deborah's the one who's the Duchess of Devonshire. Uh, yeah, Diana? Correct. She's yeah. the youngest one. Diana, Diana is the one married... who
2: married Mosley. Yeah, so it's
3: Diana. Yeah. yeah. my, my And yes. was also Diana's a Holocaust denier.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So they what were that, these yeah? really... Like, they weren't from a massively, by aristocratic standards wealthy or powerful family they just sort of got into these circles where they met all these really powerful people across the political spectrum and across the world yeah so it's really interesting knowing that as the backstory of this episode um and this again is... going in the first time i had no idea there was a real world equivalent
3: on a very mundane level so i've um, so i have a bunch of I have a bunch of tea towels uh, which are produced by a company called the Radical Tea Towel Company uh, in the UK that does um, it's all very left-wing stuff that they produce. Uh, I have a tea towel uh, which uh, commemorates the Peterloo Massacre which is uh, a subject dealt with by a big Finnish story of the same name which I encourage everybody to seek out which is excellently done. It's so well done. you know, As a Mancunian but I have a, one of those tea houses. is um, a tea town that uh, commemorates the Battle of Cable Street, where basically a bunch of ordinary people um, stopped uh, a bunch of...
2: It's a fascist march.
3: The, 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 a fascist march, you know, led, by, you know, led by the British uh, fascist party, which effectively you know, wanted to um, seek out a Jewish neighbourhood uh, in East London. And do a crystal knife to, yeah uh, 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 upon it, and basically, a bunch of ordinary people, you know, went confronting them and stopped it. And um, one senses we could do with a bit more of that right now, if there wasn't a pandemic going on.
2: We we did have something similar in Toronto as well, but yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of that sort of thing going round. So go on.
0: On a much lighter note, if you've ever read any of the Jeeves and Worcester stories or seen the Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry show, um, the character of Roderick Spode, who secretly designs ladies' underwear on his off time, um, is also based on Oswald Moseley. Like, the terrifying fascist Brit. Uh,
5: a, a note, I just want to get in here while we're talking about C.C. I don't know if maybe it should be edited in somewhere else. Um, I did the math just to like try to establish how old she is um because i mean she seems quite young i mean i say i did the math like it was like a complex equation it's not um <laughs> we know when charlie was born charlie would have been 27 so she would at most be 26 um so old enough that in a better world maybe she could have learned better yeah
2: well it's not even I that mean, right it's about radicalization right it's the similar. Yeah, l- l- yeah. we've talked about this a lot this episode no, right, um, and like i said it's a heavy episode but you know we've talked about this off mic as well you know, people's family members, people's friends. It's really easy to radicalise someone who isn't 100% aware all the time of everything that's going on. It's really easy to point fingers and say, oh, you're having a hard time, your life is hard. Well, it's this person's fault because if you can point at a person and not a system, it's much easier to blame someone because there is a face that you can put to it. When Chris was talking about the kind of, like, where you're from doesn't define who you are thing, like, Charlie and Cecilia both were, like, they wanted to see more of the world. They wanted to explore just in very different ways. It turned out happening. You know, Charlie was like, I'm going to run away to see the world. And Cecilia kind of like went through slightly more conventional. Only slightly because like, you know, there's a lot of points in the story where you're kind of like, oh, that's really unusual for a thing for a young woman to be doing at this point. Um, but it's very easy to kind of like to tempt someone, someone away from that or to be like, you know, you're feeling not respected and, like, you don't belong here and you're feeling othered or whatever, come to us, we'll respect you, we'll give you a place, we'll make you feel wanted, and people get trapped into that thing very, very easily. Um, so, like, I have very little sympathy for Cecilia because of, you know, the nonsense that she's yeah. coming out with. Like, it's really, really violent stuff that really yeah. harms a lot of people. But at the same time... There's also, you know, the situations that people are in that let them, you know, get sent into those places. I don't know where I'm going with that after that point. I don't think I have an end point with it. I've not got some amazing, mind-blowing thing. All of this stuff has been said by people much smarter than I am over and over Um, again, and nothing will change until, you know, everybody starts to recognise that. But it is what it is. Go on, boys.
5: It's... I think what you were trying to say is basically like... It's a tragedy that this happened to her. Um, Mm. Doesn't excuse her. Doesn't excuse what she's saying, her ideals. But it's sad and it's terrible. And as, you know, as with real life, you just wish that this had never happened to this person. Um, Because for someone to get that far, they must have been hurting uh, something. Charlie.
0: Like her sister just disappeared. Right. They thought her sister was dead. In this giant crash, she's missing for all this time. Then she comes swanning back with this amazing life, right? You can see how she gets there. How she would feel abandoned, how she would be looking for any attention. Again, does not excuse anything, but emotionally you can track the arc of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, like, there are much better ways of dealing with that. Um,
0: And she says that. She says, I've made bad choices. Right. to
2: put it mildly um, yeah.
0: yes
3: bad choices and bad friends
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. well and she's yeah she's also so we're back to gendered slurs the gendered slurs collection I'd forgotten yeah. that she also gets called a bitch mm. in this episode
2: there's a whore in there as well isn't there
0: probably I think whoring herself out to anything yeah. in jackboots yeah. yeah right like she's not in a time and place where she's yeah. Again,
5: does not exclu- excuse fascism. No. But um, yeah, no- nothing excuses sexism either.
2: Yeah, you know? it's almost like things are intersectional, there are, right?
5: Yeah, There are, there are valid there criticisms to be made. Her being a woman is not one of them.
2: Yeah.
3: You know? Right. Well, whilst, whilst we're on the subject of her and this things that I said in this episode, I'm afraid Romana has a really bad line when things get a bit timey-wimey and there's some exposition, she says, for the benefit of the remedial class.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not good.
2: Yeah, and it's one of those things that, like, it is a catchphrase. It's just a thing that people say, and they don't think about what they're saying, And but, like, it's written into the story. Somebody chose to write so that. Um, yeah. And whether it's in character or not, you know, it's not examined in the context of the story. There's no kind of like, oof! Did you really have to say that? Like, yeah. that don't do that. Um,
3: yeah, it, it that, that was that was my exact reaction when yeah. I when I, I listened back. And I was just like, and when she said it, I was just like, oh, yeah. You know, no. You know, um, one hopes that. These days, you know, 16 years later, you know, whatever it is, 16, 17 years later. 16. Um, yeah, that that would not be written in a, in a big finish script.
2: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, um, horror of glam rock, isn't it? You know that that line mm-hmm. wouldn't be in there now, yeah. but it doesn't make it any easier to listen to. But
3: it, but it still hits when you yeah. listen to it.
2: Yeah. For anyone unfamiliar, there's a, a slur in there. Very casually. You
3: know, but the the but the bad thing, man, is that um, I almost think that one's worse, not because of you know, you know sort of the the relative you know, demerits of you know of, of a chancellor versus of a, a slur against people with, with learning difficulties. It's the way Lucy says it. Mm. Kind of at that point in Lucy's journey, at any rate, at any rate, you kind of feel that that's absolutely who she is. Yeah, that you know that that is completely, completely normal. Yeah, I mean this isn't yeah. an Eighth Doctor to, podcast, to but
2: um, that one did put me <laughs> off listening to the rest of those stories for a long time.
3: Yeah, um, which is really bad and sad because because Lucy goes on a on a on a real character journey. Yeah you know, and she sees the best and the worst of of the Doctor.
2: And on that um, point also, I will say, Big Finish are getting a hell of a lot better about the way that they're dealing with transphobia and things like that. Um, and I do really appreciate it. It seems like very small steps from the outside, but um, given that they're a small company and the kind of contracts and things like that that they'll be written into, and you know, they've just introduced a new trans character, um, played by a trans person, and we also have um, I think it's Rebecca Root who plays someone in one of the Time War in one of the time Gallifrey War. Time yeah, War. Yes, time box is, sets yes, as well. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I mean, I think if happening. you
5: if you follow um, some of the creators, uh, some of the people from Big Finish on, on Twitter, oh, yeah. and other social media, sometimes you'll see them making calls for trans people to play roles or you know come in and direct something or whatever. Um, yeah. Which is also pretty really good to see.
2: Yeah, and like that and they're like they're not just like oh it's diversity points, like they're being very vocal about it in other ways as well in like personal yeah. situations and stuff. Anyway, um that's not about Gallifrey.
5: You know what is about Gallifrey? Um weird transition, but um I have some thoughts about Narvin. Um Yay Is it <laughs> is it
2: Narvin Hype Squad Time?
5: Um well yeah, my first one is Narvin is very perceptive. Like he has mm-hmm. noticed that something is up with with Chaudred, Um, because I mean,
4: did he or did he just? Uh,
5: no, because he did... says early in the episode. Uh, sorry, like he um.
2: He's sorry, mentioned the it previous, before as well.
5: In the previous episode, yeah. he asks him, "Are you really so naive these days?" Which implies that you know he has noticed a difference
4: there. Um, yeah, I, r- I remember we talked about that last time, and uh, yeah, and... Th- there's been an. I I there's just been... I just thought that, you know, because Arcadian came and told him, or, or, or promised him some proof on Torvald being shady. Yeah, I guess we don't know whether he had suspicions before then, or if uh. I think... He's been oblivious, and Arcadian is the one who. It out.
0: Well, we also don't know how long ago that was, right? Like it could have been right after the regeneration
5: when Narvin wouldn't have had time to notice. I, I think I'd, um, I'd argue that, um. I think I'd argue that he must have known for a bit because. The fact that the coordinator of the CIA is on a mission seems like it would be something very unusual to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for him to actually be able to make that commitment to go on this trip, I think he must have had a very real suspicion that something was up. You know, I don't think he'd just have gone and done that if if he had just heard it from Arcadian the other week, you know, if if or, you know, if, if Arcadian just showed up saying, Oh yeah, um Torvald is uh is responsible for this and that. He's doing something. Show up here.
4: I mean, Romana did just that, but fair. I mean, yeah, but that's Romana, not yeah, Narvin. But that's right. Romana <laughs> yeah. is not Narvin.
2: Yeah. We know Arcadian showed up to Narvin before the whole thing with Romana anyway, Um, which is probably why Narvin in the first episode knew who Arcadian was and had that whole list about all of his crimes and everything. Um, Because if he'd already appeared, then... Like, if he'd already met him and everything, then Narvin would have gone and done his research. Um,
0: But maybe they've all already met him. (laughs) No, we've got to wait till Chris comes
2: back for that. We've got to wait till Chris comes back. (laughs) Okay.
5: Oh, I did have one other point about Narvin, but I was just going to say that um, he has this line where he said um, he says to um, Romana and Arcadian, whatever sordid trade the pair of you have concocted is of no interest to me. Which I find very interesting in contrast with the one he has in the first episode um, about um, how, you know, the president isn't interested in cut up spaceship parts, however it goes. Um,
2: cut and shunt spaceships, yeah.
5: Thank you, yes. Um, Not
2: that I know like 90% of Narvin's <laughs> line by heart or anything.
5: But yeah, the two of them, in contrast, with you know, how we've been seeing over this season how he's sort of slowly losing faith in the presidency or, you know, specifically the president in question. Mm. Um, just The bickering I in this
2: episode is very yeah. good as well because it's very like, biting and um, like, you know, Romana and Narvin bicker all the time. They still bicker in like, you know, five seasons time or whatever. But the, the bickering in this episode is um, it's got a lot more edge to it than it usually does i think
4: yes definitely and the, the fact that um he that the bit where um romana is a little incensed because uh he's been suspecting torvad and didn't tell romana hmm. and um and says you know i could have been torvad could have shot me and he's he says uh well then we you know we then he would have exposed himself
2: yeah um yeah, at least usually you know he's he's yeah. very
4: much about protecting the president even if he doesn't you know agree with her on on most things and doesn't respect her a lot um yeah just that 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 was uh it's a bit unusual for him so i feel like he's definitely uh had enough of her a bit by this point
2: yeah i think as well there's the um the more kind of, it's the shift from I have to protect the presidency, to the pres- the current presidency is, um, you know, not problematic. That's what that's overused massively. But like, Ramana being the president at this point is now a danger to Gallifrey, and protecting yeah. Ramana at this point is not protecting Gallifrey anymore. And that's where his like loyalties lie. It's like his loyalties lie with the office and his planet. Um, and his people, rather than, you know, the particular person who is his boss. Um, and he said that before, um, and I think he says it again in the future. And like you see his loyalties shift a little bit further down the line of the show. Which again, character development. But at this point, again, have said it before. We'll say it again. I am very much on team Narvin. Was mostly right um, about a lot of things.
4: And um, the fact he's so ambivalent about her dying in this episode makes the episodes later when he is very concerned when she's in danger yeah um you know much more impactful
2: yeah character development man it's so good this is why i miss long form shows
4: of course it takes romana a lot longer to uh
2: to realize a shit about Navi, that his yeah.
4: <laughs> that his ambition his, his loyalties have shifted and that he doesn't want her dead but yeah
0: are we ready for
5: the, the conversation? <laughs> yes. I've been ready for a week and a half.
2: I have one <laughs> other point hot. to bring up before we have that conversation. Okay. And it is not a major point. It's just a line that I love. Um, <laughs> because my boy, K9 does not get enough recognition in this episode.
3: I, I think I know what yeah. you're going to say. I love it. Go on.
2: Pause, K9. I have no yeah. pause. Yeah <laughs> I am no Paul's mistress. <laughs> nobody will ever convince. what she really meant. Yeah, nobody will ever Right, I have a thing for robots. This is this is clear. I nearly wore my <laughs> I like robots and I cannot lie t shirt today. Um But it's at the bottom of the pile, so I didn't Anyway, that's not relevant. Um I really love robots. This is nothing new to anyone on this podcast. Um Snarky robots, even better. The snarkier, the better. Orak is God, um, as far as robots are concerned. Um, Any kind of AI-type thing. Nobody will ever convince me that K9 does not have a sense of humour. And I have seen people argue this, right? I have seen people be like, oh, he just doesn't understand. If if K9 has a sense of humour, it is an autistic sense of humour, because I do exactly the same thing, because people... Assume that you are not going to understand things when they make jokes. So playing dumb is so much funnier. Um, Like, playing up to that thing that people assume you are going to make that mistake and intentionally, willfully misunderstanding things is one of the funniest things in the world to me. Um, Obviously not in a serious situation, but just, yeah, it's good. I have no cause.
4: Canine and Mr. Smith's whole thing... Rivalry, yes. Oh, yes. friendship yes. thing. That, that, yeah, he definitely has a sense of humour.
2: Absolutely.
0: That, Yes, that is it's a pun or play on words.
4: I just want to say that before we go on to Arcadian can we drag Torvald? Like actual Torvald?
2: <laughs> I am so oh, here for he's dragons. he's such on
4: trash!
2: On so Sorry? many levels.
0: Yeah, he's such trash.
4: I didn't hear that
0: Okay. i just said that he's such trash twice <laughs> and it's worth saying a third time yeah except maybe he's like beetlejuice and if you say he's such
4: trash three times he'll appear well, you've done it now <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Uh,
2: it's all right the I one good thing andrew did was kill him
4: i'd seriously forgotten just like how much of a jerk he is
0: oh he's so gross
2: I, in so many yeah. different ways right like there's first of all there's like you know Totally manipulating Cecilia, right? Like, for starters, that's a really, really gross thing to do to anyone. Um, and then he did it by pretending to be a Nazi and like whatever he says about like oh pretending to laugh at your Jew hating jokes and everything like that. You were still yeah. doing it, mate. Yeah. You were still doing it. You were in a, you were comfortable enough doing that to actually do that. Um, I mean, Andred oh,
4: straight oh. up. Andred straight up calls him a neoconservative. conservative. Mm. And I mean,
3: also, um, you you it's very strongly suggested that um, that is is beaten, sissy as well.
0: Yeah, right. She says he has a terrible temper. Yeah,
2: mm. yeah, um, and he's, he's nice sometimes. Yeah, and like the whole oh he knows people thing. Um, and I mean that's whole all part of the like you know sissy's kind of like. She knows. She's turning a blind eye. She knows what's going on, you know. She just doesn't want to yeah, think about she it. Is,
0: she is afraid of him. It yeah. is very clear. Yeah. <clears throat> she mean, got in
2: too deep.
5: There, there is a name for people who, you know, hang around Nazis. And yeah, that's and it's Nazis. Nazis. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, it's, that's, just, it's what he is. Um, yeah. And I mean, even. Like, when he is not pretending to be Eric, he has that moment where, um, you know, like he um, he's just blood shamed, it's easy. Um, and he has that moment where he, he's like, oh, as if I'd uh, lower myself to sleep with a one dimensional. Mm. And, you yeah. know, he He calls Leela it. Like, yeah. And you're Endred's creature. Yeah,
2: there are... He's terrible. He's he's awful on so many levels. Like, Um, I
5: think, honestly, like, thinking about the different characters on Gallifrey, he is probably the most, like, real-world scary character. Mm. Because he has really just all of those awful, awful opinions, you know? Like, there are villains here, and there are characters that do terrible things, but it's all within this sort of alien politics... Sort of, um, Framework. what's the what I'm looking for? Context. Yeah. It's all within this uh alien politics context, but he is there and he's done terrible things here on earth in that we know, you know, from recent history, and ah,
2: it's just a lot more real, right? Real. Like, it,
4: yeah, like
2: so, th- sometimes in fiction, are... there are things you have to sort of stand up and walk off, right? Like, you have to just like. You know, maybe that's more of an autistic thing, but, like, in some ways anyway. Um, but, like, sometimes you just have to get up and put the book down, turn the audio off, and just walk it off. Like, get, get the feeling physically out of you because it's just so much to deal with. Um, you know, I know that other people share this with me. I don't know if it's a sort of universal thing or if it's more of a um, spectrum thing. But, yeah, like, listening to this now, I literally... Um, like i had to stop halfway through turn the episode off and go and do something else i washed all the dishes and i cleaned all the countertops and everything because i couldn't physically handle the kind of like just the disgust that i was feeling um and like you just kind of have to externalize it sometimes um and yeah just like so many of his lines so many of the things he says and does um are just like he is horrendous and like no matter what excuses you give him no matter what kind of like apologism people come up with like you know oh he, he was doing what he thought was right for gallifrey or whatever like no there is no excuse for that kind of language that kind of behavior doing the kind of things that he will have done um, that, and that he's expressed he's proud of doing um like for anything yeah, gallifrey ever. is
0: a show gallifrey is a show that does pretty well at giving it's making well-rounded villains Mm. Who are not totally unsympathetic all the time. He is the only one I think who has no redeeming qualities. No, yeah, there, there was nothing to be said in his
1: defense.
4: Yeah, that's what I was a, just a b- trash about to say because like it, there's there's a lot of villains who do arguably worse things than than him, like you know kill more people or uh, you, you know do do more actual harm, but he's that there is nothing redeeming or interesting hi- about him. Like, like Darkell's like a terrible person, but he's he's more someone like you you love to hate still. Um, and yeah, he's just one dimensionally awful.
2: And that's it for this week's episode, folks. Turns out we have so many Gallifrey opinions that we can't always condense it down into one episode. And since there's a lot of pretty heavy and important topics on this one, it felt kind of wrong to cut a lot of the stuff out. So stay tuned for the second half of A Blind Eye. Many theories, many theories about Mephistophel Irving Arcadia Tell and what we're looking forward to about season two coming soon. In the meantime, you can check out the Romana fashion posts on the podcast Twitter with some great commentary from Jane. Follow Scar's new project at dead underscore Susan where you might just see a familiar face or hear a familiar voice and let us know what you think about Gallifrey. Romana
1: is the president And Narvin's loud in his dissent And Leela has wise things to say And they all live on Gallifrey Braxy is a garbage man Castellan Winter needs a hand And Ace is in the CIA And they all live on Gallifrey The shining world of the Seven Cities apparently miserable to live in we're massive nerds who love this show we have lots of opinions oh so come on in and come to stay and let's talk about gallifrey
2: this has been the part of rassilon thank you for listening